The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're talking to seven successful lady marketers to understand how they've navigated their way up the corporate ladder to become some of the most prominent female marketers in the MarTech community. Joining us today is Mary Beth McCabe, who is the owner of Sun Marketing, which is a media and marketing agency that serves growth-hungry companies in mobile marketing, Hispanic, solar, and the travel industry. And Mary Beth is also an associate professor of marketing at the National University's MBA program. Prior to her current roles, Mary Beth cut her teeth as a radio and television executive. Okay, here's our interview with Mary Beth McCabe, owner of Sun Marketing. Mary Beth, welcome to the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. It's always exciting to talk to a woman with a long track record of success in marketing, and we're excited to share your story with the entire MarTech community. That's great. Let's do it. Let's start off at the beginning and just talk a little bit about how you got into this profession of marketing. It was through the creative aspects of marketing that interested me. My first class in advertising in college really got me excited about what I could do. I was really focused on a career in broadcasting. My role models were Barbara Walters and other journalists. So when I had a chance to really dive into advertising and see the opportunity for creativity, I jumped at that. So going all the way back to your time as a student, did you say you had a communications degree or was it a marketing degree? Yes, it was communications degree. I was mm -hmm. the morning disc jockey at a top 50 market, top station in the market. So I had the gig every morning. And that was a wonderful experience as a college student. So you actually, while you were in college, were working as a disc jockey hosting a radio show. Absolutely. This was the late 70s and rock and roll and couldn't be more fun than being in Southern Ohio. <laughs> you know, WKRP Cincinnati was the top show of the TV day. It sounds like a hotbed for some rock and roll activity, late 70s, lots of classic rock bands now. I'm sure they weren't considered classic rock then. Tell me a little bit about why you saw an overlap between communications and marketing. So the way that the stations run is by advertising. So I saw the opportunity to jump into that, especially when I saw my prospects for becoming the talent were going to be shaped by a program director who may or may not be in the same city as me. 
I really saw the future of that. And I thought, well, I really need to get into sales. So I got myself into a sales position in Chicago, first at a radio station and then at a television station. So this was my first steps into the executive ranks from being a talent. And that was in the late 70s. So early on, while you were in college, the experience you had as the talent, as the content creator for a radio station led you to believe that there wasn't a big future for you. So you decided just for practical stake to move into advertising. When you were starting to work as an account exec in Chicago in the late 70s, early 80s, talk to me about what that experience was like. And was it a role that a lot of women were in or were you one of the only women in that role? I certainly was the first in just about every place that I worked at. The TV station, the radio station, and even when I came to San Diego a few years later, I was the first and the only woman in many of those jobs. Of course, other women came along later on, but it was tough to break through and to convince the people that I worked with that I could do it. It really wasn't a struggle to convince the clients, but it was my peers that felt there was no place for a woman in this field. And some of them were right in my face telling me that. I would be remiss if I didn't say that there wasn't one of my favorite movies that is covering almost this exact topic, which is Anchorman with Ron Burgundy and with Will Ferrell talking about, you know, a woman broadcaster in San Diego coming onto a TV show. Obviously, that is a comedy, and I don't mean to make fun of the story that you're telling, but this is a storyline that has been talked about publicly in comedies and famous movies. Yeah, how ironic that it's from San Diego. Yeah, exactly. So I think I just had Innovator written on my forehead somewhere. That has to be what it is. And so when you're, you know, a groundbreaker in your industry, you're in Chicago, and eventually you're working your way to San Diego as an account exec working for television stations. Talk to me about some of the things that you did that helped you be successful and break beyond just being the only woman in the field. How did you earn business results despite the adversity you were facing? Well, what's nice, Benjamin, is if you are in sales, you don't have to ask for a raise you are basically on commission. So whatever you bring into the house, you're paid upon that. So I was able to feel that that was one way that I could at least build my credibility, build my responsibility, and then build my income. So I felt that even if they took, and they did this several times, they would take all the accounts that you brought in, they would take them away from me. I just go out and get new ones. So this was the television and radio industry in the 80s and early 90s. This is kind of how it was. You would go out there and get new accounts. And then for some reason, they would become like house accounts. And then you would go out and just get new ones. So it was a hustle. But it was kind of fun because you were always doing something different every day. You'd go into work every single day, Ben, and you didn't know what you were going to be dealing with. Could be a car dealership in the morning and it could be a funeral parlor in the afternoon. And you would have to try to figure out how do I solve their problems. So, talk to me about the marketing strategy and how do you connect the work that you're doing in sales? And then, what was the actual marketing tactics that you were applying to be successful selling ad inventory for the TV stations? Well, I really wasn't given a whole lot of training at any of my jobs, a lot of it was just on the job and it was sink or swim. And the turnover in the industry was at the time very high too, because they didn't want to invest if they didn't feel that you would really be around. So basically the marketing was figured out yourself. 
these weren't big companies I was working for either. In fact, the name of the company in Chicago was called Weigel Broadcasting. And the owners of the company have the same last name as you do. I didn't really put that together till just now. <laughs> so I, I worked for the Shapiros in the Board of Trade building in downtown Chicago. And they were my employers and they paid for my MBA. So I want to give them a lot of credit for that. They helped me when I asked for it to give me some business background. And they saw that I was able to produce results. I mean, I brought in a lot of national business to this local Spanish language TV station, which at the time you couldn't even see it from where I lived because there was some problems with the transmission. And we had no ratings. It was a very niche market. And that was really exciting because if you got results, they would renew. And oftentimes that was the case because you put the right programs in the right commercials and it worked. The interesting thing to me, you mentioned that you're working at a small company and some of the brands that you brought to them were large nationally recognized companies, Standard Oil, American Airlines, True Value Hardware, JCPenney. These are not small brands. I'm going to go back to asking you, tell me about the marketing strategies that you implemented. I know you mentioned it's a hustle to go find new brands and some were taken away from you. This is pre-internet era. So are you just simply finding the phone book and dialing for dollars? Are you advertising yourself? Was this more of a direct sales effort? What actually worked in the early days selling television advertising? You pretty much described it. You take the telephone book because like you said, there was no internet. You would go and see who was advertising on other television stations, in radio, and in Yellow Pages and direct mail, whatever advertising you saw. Now, I usually called on ad agencies who represented some of those bigger clients that I mentioned. However, in the early days, the Spanish language market was really non-existent. So the ad agencies that I called on in Chicago didn't really understand what to do with me. They would just say, no, I'm sorry, we're not interested. So then I would go to the clients who would basically say, we are interested and let's work this out. That's pretty much how things worked out. There's a couple of things that I'm hearing is one, this is a business that thrives on hustle. Whether you call it dialing for dollars or networking, you are really going and building a direct to the consumer approach. And you're kind of taking a two-pronged approach where you're reaching out to the agency to try to ask them to buy media for their customers, while also reaching out direct to the customers to try to influence the agencies. To me, this is actually very similar to what we do here at the MarTech podcast, where you were looking for people that are advertising on other television shows to find our sponsors. We look at people that are advertising on other podcasts, and we look at people that are advertising on events, which is similar to podcast advertising in some capacity. And we try to call that out of, if you like this type of marketing, we have a valuable product for you. So I appreciate the approach that you're taking here. At some point, you moved beyond being an account exec. It was a large portion of your early career. And you moved into being an instructor. Was that a linear path? Were you working as an account exec and as an instructor? Tell me about the transition going from working in an ad sales and marketing role to becoming an educator. So I made the move to San Diego after resigning my position in Chicago. And when I resigned, they offered me the VP of marketing position. That gave me even more confidence to go out to San Diego and start from scratch. So this brand new station opened up a few months after my arrival, and they were owned by a university. And I was qualified as an employee. 
So the dean of the university encouraged me to go for my PhD. And I said, that's not something I want to do. But he convinced me to just take one class. So before you knew it, I was taking classes on a regular basis and combining that with my sales work. Then I got the bug. So I started my own course at a restaurant. I said, I would like to just tell advertisers how to get on TV. So it was serving two needs. It was giving me some experience in a quote unquote classroom, but I was also getting clients. And this was in the early 90s. So that led to some of my other clients who invited me to be in their classrooms and guest speaking. And I started with a community college, creating a course in advertising, and then went to UCSD extension. And all this time, I was still working at the TV station, bringing in new business. And before you knew it, it was in 1988, I think, when I got my doctorate in business. And then I stayed at the TV station until 93, and then I started my own company. So I want to talk about the overlap here. You're working in what I would consider more of what sounds like a sales role. And yet you're going through a doctorate program, a PhD. So you're a student and you're teaching at the same time. Talk to me about the balance of your paying job, your academic endeavors, and then becoming an educator at the same time. Doesn't sound like you had a lot of time for a personal life during that period. I didn't have as much overlap as it might sound. I was putting in at least 60 hours a week at the job in sales. And then I would teach maybe for a semester and then I would be a student for the next semester. So it was not necessarily overlapping. Okay. You weren't burning the candle too much at both ends. It sounds like all three ends in this example, if that's even possible. But the cool thing was, I want to point out if anybody is thinking about going on for additional education, I was fortunate in being guided to get a contract with the National Association of Broadcasters who published my dissertation. That was a real coup because I published about the strategic changes in the television industry and they wanted it. So it was a good step forward to be recognized by the NAB. All right. So you're working in ad sales. You're learning a lot about the advertising industry. You're both a student and an educator at the same time, or you're volleying back and forth between those two experiences. And at some point here, you decide to branch out on your own and start your own company. Talk to me about the process of leaving the ad exec role that you had, and why did you decide to start a marketing company? It wasn't an easy decision, but I had a mantra, and it was, you can't keep one foot on first and get to second. That really motivated me. So I saw the future of the internet. I had a great experience seeing what bulletin boards were and what they were going to be as an internet startup. So I put my stake in, in 93, and my first client other than the NAB was a internet startup company. This is before we even heard of the word ISP. So I saw the opportunity that television advertisers would then be going to this new media, whatever it was, eventually. Didn't know when that was going to happen. Now, and this was 25 years ago. So lots happened in between, but I saw that it was going to happen someday. And I thought the sooner I get into this, the more fun I'm going to have. And it really has been quite a fun ride. So I sold banner ads in 93. And some of those companies became some of the larger digital marketers in the very early days. I don't know anybody who sold a banner ad before that. It wasn't even WWW. It wasn't supposed to be commercial back then. The thing that sticks out to me is there's a trend here where a lot of what you're doing is you're leveraging the experiences that you have. 
you're following that forward, seeing where the trends are coming. So when you were early on in radio, you saw that there wasn't really a big opportunity for the talent. So you decided to get into ad sales. When you were in ad sales, you were able to learn a lot about the television industry, which volleyed you on some level into a parallel career as a student and an educator. And then eventually you use those experiences of learning marketing, understanding the television advertising and seeing that there's a trend coming on the horizon to start learning about digital marketing and advertising. Time for a one minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Early on, you're selling banner ads. Talk to me about how your company has evolved over a 25-year span. How did you go from selling the earliest of early banner advertising to what you're doing today? Well, Ben, there's a lot of failure along the way. I just want to make that really clear. And for those who are listening who are in that failure stage, I want to encourage you to fail fast. And that's what I did. So those banner ads were sold, but I mean, we were talking about pennies per day for what people were buying and there was no way to scale that. There's no generating. So I was making nothing, but I saw the fun and I saw the potential. So there's definitely some good and some bad. You have to be willing to fail. And I was. So I actually failed a lot. The first few times as an entrepreneur, I really didn't know where I was going to go. So I took a step backwards and I looked at what I did that was successful. And one of those things was the Hispanic marketing. So that's where I focused my efforts for the next several years was I saw that the U.S. Hispanic market, and I had that background from Chicago, and I had the connections of businesses in San Diego. So I made my mark and was recognized for that with lots of great business and national clients like Gerber and Nestle's and several car companies helped them with their projects over the years. So failing was good in a way because I learned from that. I also tried to start up an association of all the TV stations in the San Diego area, and that failed also. So sometimes what looks like was an overnight success really took a lot of failure along the way. 
one of the other things I did during that first year of business was I realized I didn't have my own product. I'd always sold someone else's product. So it was important for me to have something that I could show people that I've done. So Sun Marketing published the world's first guide to independent travel. And that was a big success. It sold more than 10,000 copies. So that gave me a chance to show people physically what are some of the things that I could do. I had a book, a CD, and even a cassette version. I think my takeaway here is, first, I appreciate the advice of trying to fail fast, right? There's nothing wrong with getting it wrong, right? Mostly if you're working in an environment that's new and innovating, there is no playbook to follow as an entrepreneur. So understanding when something isn't working and being able to cut bait and move on is a valuable lesson. I also think that you're incredibly enterprising. And one of the things that sticks out to me as you continue to tell us your story is, You've said, okay, here's an opportunity in the Hispanic market that's underserved. And I have these assets, I have an understanding of the media landscape and connections to these businesses. And I see that this is an underserved market. I'm going to go and approach it and attack it. And then the second thing is you have not only the Hispanic market that you specialized in, but you went into travel. And I noticed that in your description of Sun Marketing, you focus on what seem to be very different markets, mobile, Hispanic, solar, and travel. So you've clearly picked off these niches that are potentially underserved at times. Tell me about how you are developing these specialties and how are you managing to work in things that are what seem to be very different. Like I don't see a lot of connection between the Hispanic market and the mobile market or the solar market and the travel industry. I have to agree with you, Ben. When you just look at them together, they're separate. But there are some connections like with Hispanics and mobile there is a very strong connection. With the Hispanic culture, the mobile phone has always over-indexed because they're talking on their phone and they love to talk. The share of mobile phones in the Hispanic cultures has been over the top. So I've published articles on that and that's an interesting cultural phenomena. The solar industry became interesting not only because my company was called Sun Marketing, but my brother, Joseph McCabe, was a principal in several solar companies. And I felt that I could help him and his organizations and then help some of the national solar organizations with their marketing, which is what I did. I spoke at several national conferences. I did some research on the resale value of homes for having solar on it. And this was going back 10 years ago. So those were some of my first published articles when I was running my company and teaching at some other universities and trying to get an understanding of what does it take to be an academic. So I do see a connection with the Hispanics and mobile. The solar thing was kind of out there, but it was a family-related interest. And I'm not doing that much in solar these days, but the travel is what's piquing me really at this time, Benjamin. I have an interest in, in moving toward a passion to help other women. And that's one of the reasons why this podcast really interested me so much to be able to give back to other women who are entrepreneurs and to women who are interested in travel. But I see many of them are afraid to travel. Just today, I heard from my sister-in-law who told me she's not able to get on a plane. So I want to find out how I can help her and other women who are afraid to not only travel, the physical part of travel, but traveling by themselves. So this book I wrote and published 25 years ago was about how you can travel alone 
globally. And now I'm seeing that travel is important for women to be able to do that, especially in today's Me Too era. And women are becoming more powerful on boards. They're needing to be able to go on trips by themselves without a tour guide. And I feel that that background in travel is now coming to the forefront. Maybe there's where my need is for the next few years. If this goes well, I'll let you know. If I fail fast, then I'll let you know about that too, Ben. What I'm hearing is that some of the areas of focus of your company and where you've invested in learning about a function of marketing is partially about it being your interest. And then other times it's opportunistic. And some of the times it's just you taking advantage of the skills and the knowledge that you've accumulated over the various years working in marketing. I know that you're also an associate professor, which news to me is a full-time professor. An adjunct professor is a part-time professor. Correct. I confuse the two of those. So talk to me a little bit about how you've managed to develop your own agency. You've specialized in multiple relatively disparate topics. And then in parallel, you've become a full-time professor. Talk to me about the transition from focusing solely on running an agency to both running an agency and becoming a full-time professor. So in 2008, we faced a crisis in the marketing field. And for those of you who were working in the field, you knew that the recession hurt us financially. And I was doing mostly media buying for Hispanic Americans. And I saw that my revenues in that were maybe not going to be sustainable. And when the opportunity came to move into a job full time, as well as keep my own company rolling, I said, this would be a good move for me. Plus, I got some additional health benefits. So practically speaking, I do still own my company and I still have clients even from many, many years ago that I'm still serving and they're very satisfied but I'm able to also put my energies into helping with administrative tasks as well as teaching tasks. So currently I'm teaching a mobile marketing class and I'm just using what I've learned through all of my marketing skills to be able to apply today's students with what they're going to need tomorrow. And I think that's always been a constant. It's trying to think strategically about what environmental changes are happening that are going to impact us in the future. And I don't have a crystal ball, Benjamin, but I definitely see that mobile is the future of our marketing community. Because if you look and see what revenue mobile is bringing in in terms of the digital space right now, and our MarTech audience would be very interested in pursuing that, I surrounded myself with mobile marketing experts over the last eight years. And I just see the shift in where digital has come from and where it's going. So with everybody owning a phone or two and the experience of being always on is becoming part of our behavior, this is the most important focus for the future. So that's where I want to be. So as you've transitioned from being one of the first female executives in the television industry to being a doctorate student, to running your own agency, and now focusing on being an educator and a professor. What skills have you learned along the way that you've consistently applied to help you be a success in all of the various roles you've had? I'm still learning these skills. I'm being challenged all the time to change. And I think this is the biggest skill that I could keep focusing on, is being willing and accepting of change. This is the one constant that so many of us resist. 
And I hope you agree with me on this, that the more we are accepting of change and try to embrace it, the good parts of it, and if we can be willing to make those changes, we're going to be able to communicate better with others in the future. And I think we're going to have a better toolbox, so to speak, down the road. So I was talking to my students last night. Here's an example. They're telling me that they want to use QR codes. They want to build a digital agency. And they are going down the rabbit hole, so to speak, in QR codes. And I said to them, yes, QR codes are great. And for the last six years, we've been talking about why they're so important. But what problem does it solve? Once you've figured that out, then you will be able to be the answer to your potential client's needs. To answer your question, yes, being able to change, being able to solve problems for others, and being willing to be wrong are three important skills, I think. I think that what you're saying about understanding that change is a constant, and you've shown that through your career, through the reinvention, being a woman in sales, being a student, being an agency owner, being an educator, even though it's over a long period of time, you've constantly evolved to take your skill set, you know, that drive and hustle that you've had from the beginning and collect all of these experience and be able to push them together. As you reflect back on your career and the different experiences that you've had, what advice do you have for the younger generation of marketers? What can they do if they want to follow a career path, work in marketing, and potentially even become an educator themselves? One of the best things that they can do is to travel. And I say that because that was one of my early memories. I was brought up in New York. And when I was 15, we moved to Chicago and I was devastated. But three months later, I bought my own ticket and my father dropped me off at O'Hare Airport and he let me take care of myself. He just let me go. And I remember that those first steps out of the car, walking into the world's busiest airport. But yes, I could do this at 15. And I spent three weeks in New York at friends' houses. Those experiences, walking around New York City, and learning how to travel and how to get by on your own are going to be so valuable to other people. So whether you're traveling to the next state or to a foreign country and learning another language will really be of benefit to you down the road because you'll be able to put yourself into someone else's mindset, into someone else's culture, into someone else's experience. And therefore, your experience as a marketer will be enriched past your own set of eyes and your blinders will be removed. Yeah, I think be open to experiences outside of the ones that are in the environment that you're used to being in. Challenge yourself, see the world, understand different perspectives. And the next thing you know, you might be a specialist in Hispanic marketing and solar and the travel industry altogether. So Mary Beth, let me just say, I appreciate you sharing your career path with our audience. I think that it's an inspiring one and how you've been able to reinvent yourself through multiple different careers. So thank you for coming on and being our guest. Well, Ben, it's been my pleasure. And I thank you so much for the invitation. And I encourage travel and exploration. And I just wish you the much, uh, much success in this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Women in MarTech Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Mary Beth McCabe, the owner of Sun Marketing, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Mary Beth, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter, where her handle is Mary Beth McCabe, M-A-R-Y-B-E-T-H-M-C-C-A-B-E. Or you could visit her company's website, which is sunmarketing.net. 
A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you. So we created benjshap.com slash question where you can send us your topic suggestions or marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we have a once a week newsletter with links to an audio player, episode summaries, and our guest contact information. To have more MarTech in your inbox, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter to subscribe. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.